like building things. Welcome to the Build a Broker podcast. Each episode, you'll hear the journey of newly minted mortgage brokers from concept to first closed loan on their road to success. Launched in the onset of COVID, Adam Stein quickly implemented a tech-focused business plan that got his brokerage to almost a billion dollars in funding in the first year of operation. But first, a message from our sponsor. Rocket Pro TPO has the tools brokers need to compete, even in an ever-changing market. Elevate your game with world-class training called Pro Performance. It's elite coaching that only Rocket Pro TPO can offer. Partners walk away with the skills to confidently present to clients, explain market conditions, and win more business. Learn more at rocketprotpo.com. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLS number 3030. In this episode, we'll meet with mortgage broker, technology entrepreneur, and the builder of great things, Adam Stein. Adam was a mortgage broker who found the opportunity to empower soon-to-be borrowers in the digital marketplace. The technology he built was so powerful that Bankrate acquired it in 2015. In this episode of Build a Broker, we're going to hear from Adam's plan and how we executed on the road to success. So, so listen, I, I, we're going to start off by, by asking, why did you choose the mortgage broker model? I mean, you, you've you've been in the retail space, you know, you many, many years ago, you were, uh, you know, in, in uh, a real estate agent. Uh, but what about the mortgage broker model attracted you? So when I decided to get back out and start my own origination company again, it was really about the speed with which we could address the market. Right. And, uh, and also, uh, to some extent, the amount of capital, right, that I, that I was willing to put in and do it. And I'm not opposed to the banker model at all. But, but job one was, could we set up a tech stack that would do 100% digital origination? And could we originate enough volume to make banking interesting? Right. Cause I, I look at mortgage banking as that's, uh, that's fractional uh, numbers of big numbers, right? So you really have to have big numbers to make banking pay, right? Uh, over the delta of what you could make as a mortgage broker. So, you know, I think employee one was right when COVID broke out in uh, April 2020. And uh, we, you know, we started, uh, we tested the wires out first. It was literally just myself and an untrained assistant. And uh, we, I had been working on the tech stack uh, for the first quarter before we opened the, the, the business. And uh, I put on uh, 20 units for $6 million in 30 days with 100% pull through. You know? And I was like, okay, all the wires seem to work. Let's hire. <laughs> you know? uh, and, and so we, we proceeded over from, from 2021. In 2021, we, we grew the company to uh, over 50 full-time employees. Only five of them had ever even seen a mortgage before. You know, during the middle of COVID, we were pulling people out of restaurants and baristas and all the other shuttered businesses, right? And uh, trained them all, developed their own training programs. And all we did in 2021 was write 890 some odd million dollars, roughly. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was, I was really trying to get a billion, didn't quite get there. Uh, but it, it was compelling enough to, to, to say, okay, now, now we've demonstrated that we can do digital origination and volume, right? And and frankly, now is when I'm even though the market's slower and we're in we're, we're scaled back. Now is when I'm actually looking at banking because if you think about it, it's one thing to train a bunch of people to do loans and volume, 
And the broker model, when you're leveraging partners like Rocket, which we levered probably for 90% of that volume, um, you know, it, it makes it easy. Uh, it makes it uh, easy to stand that business up. You know, standing up a mortgage banker when you're running all of your own internal due diligence and compliance and processes, the, the types of things that brokers, frankly, just don't have to do. I think that would have been almost impossible to have done at the same time in 2021. But now that we've validated the model, the market's slowed down a little bit. And, uh, you know, we can turn and focus on those processes. We can actually create that banking model now. Uh, it's a current flow rate. And when the market turns, as you and I both know, it always does, then we can ramp that volume back up. Yeah. So, so I, and I, uh, and so it's positioning yourself, uh, being ready actually for them when the market turns again. Uh, but, but, but I want to, I want to dig into actually your tech stack because I mean, listen, you, you, you ran a technology company. Lo- Loan tech was this unbelievable company, uh, you know, that, that empowered companies to be able to, uh, com- com- compete in, in a digital marketplace, uh, as, as you saw, um, more and more consumers, uh, you know, going online. I, I think it was 2008 when you started Loan Tech. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2008. Uh, and really, you know, Loan Tech. Uh, there are a few people that used everything, but Loan Tech was was uh, really putting consumer price everywhere where the consumer would shop. Because think about how consumers shop, right? If you go on Amazon and you want to buy a golf club, right, you'll find. You know, seven different people selling you that driver through Amazon. And at some point, you're like, yep, that's the golf club. That's the price. This, this, this vendor's got the ratings and you buy it. Well, you know, uh, my goal is to make getting a mortgage as easy as buying a pair of shoes on Amazon, right? And to do that, having interactive price everywhere the consumer shops is super important. Uh, so for the ability for the consumer to Affirm the, the, that that value proposition. Uh, see very clearly what their payments and their fees and everything are up front, so they can make that decision, and then facilitate that all the way through a digital experience where it's basically paperless. It's it's you know it's on their phone and it's in their PC. And, and then uh, one of the things we we're able to do again with Rocket, and it's one of the reasons our partnership was 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 so strong there is you also have to make that close very efficient, right? So I think uh, over the course of last year, I think our average close loan uh, took 21 days, right? So if you can take a digital experience and make it easy for the customer to comprehend their terms, apply, get you the documentation you need, and then close that loan efficiently when other lenders in the refi boom were taking, you know, two to three months or more, right? Then you, you've got to win. Fantastic. So, so, so listen, I mean, let, let's talk a little bit more about that digital experience. What, what else are you doing to, you know, in your tech stack, you know, that's allowing you to get down to, you know, a, a 21 day close. So some of that's training and, and, and process. So, uh, you know, when we set the tech stack up, uh, initially, uh, and we're still running a largely, uh, a version of encompass consumer connect. Now we're actually now refactoring all of that. Right. We're actually doing some things that are pretty cool. But, you know, we were able to leverage uh, Encompass Consumer Connect for, for the bulk of that experience. Now, you've got human processes around that as well, too. And how you train your people to react to those applications, the rapidity with which you get your disclosures back out to them, how quickly, you know, you execute uh, internal SLAs for your own people. Like, uh, did you did, did you get those disclosures out and get the loan registered 
in two hours, right? Uh, you know, at what point uh, do you do you consider a consumer as uh, as what we used to call them as ghosts, right? In the middle of the refi boom, uh, when you're doing digital, you'll you'll have people that'll abandon you because rates dropped a quarter point in the middle of the loan, or at the you know inception, it changed overnight, right? That's just part of that game. And so, you know, there, there's when you do digital mortgage and refinance boom, everything has to be lightning fast. Uh, and your staff has to be enabled by the technology that they have to serve that customer, right? And so you have a combination of having a tech stack that enables that, and your 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 teams have to be trained in the 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 timing of their reach outs, the timing of uh, you know the their, the disclosure, uh, the the communication uh, on the operation side to get the documentation. And as long as you've got good benchmarks around that, you can keep that flow going. So so and and how do you so. How do you track the 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 SLAs and, and like you know, make sure that your your timing is improving? So you, you can see it in pipelines. We we run, uh, you know, part of it's keeping your pipeline clean. So if you if you've got your culture set up where that's the expectancy, you know, your loan officers are expecting their deals closing in 21 days. Your processors have the expectancy of your third party wholesalers to facilitate. Uh, that close. I mean, part of it is literally nothing more than the culture that you build and how you train and frame those expectations within, right? Other parts of keeping the pipeline clean, though, are running very regular pipeline reviews, right? So again, uh, I, I told you what a ghost is. We have ghost or toast, right? So every 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 week we're running uh, pipeline reports that engage every, that, that detail every everything from every status that every loan in the pipe is in. You know, what's funding out in a, in a given time frame. And then if the processor is like, Hey, I don't have direction on this ball or like literally I have an impasse. The income's not working. The appraisal's not working. You know, this deal has fallen off the rails for whatever particular reason. Right. Those get coded every week, uh, color coded on the pipeline reports. And then those go back to the loan officer saying, Hey, you know, you've got basically five business days to fix this. Because you're not allowed to clog up the pipeline with toasted deals that you can't resolve in a week or with ghosts who have just abandoned their applications for whatever reason, right? And, and so if you keep a clean pipeline in a very regimented fashion like that, it keeps all of the other deals that uh, aren't flawed, right, or aren't abandoned, uh, moving in a very linear path. So so do, do you have a like a dashboard, a... A uh, ghost or toast uh, dashboard, you know. Pretty much. Wow. <laughs> so, so what do you what do you do to create that? Like, is that something that's that, that you're creating within Encompass? Is it something that you're building outside of it? So it's a weekly report that we run, uh, and all of the processors know. And on our company, it comes out on a Wednesday. Uh, and the processors go in on, on Wednesday and they, uh, we have a, a series of color codes and they all color code their, uh, their files accordingly. Uh, and you know, they're, the encompass report that we have already, you know, sort of details of the pipeline pretty well as new submissions to submitted to underwriting, resubmissions, you know, closing docs out, stuff like that. Right. So, so you have a pretty good sense of where everything is anyway. Right. But, you know, a deal, as you and I both know, can fall out at any time, right? And so whether it's early stage or late stage in the process, if the processor says, hey, I don't have a clear path, I don't have direction, I don't, we don't have a plan around this, 
or, you know, I can't get a hold of the ball or I can't get their cooperation on that. Then we have very specific color codes. So every Wednesday they go in and do that. And then by Wednesday afternoon, those files are communicating, those, those are, you know, sorted out, distributed to the, uh, the loan, the respective loan officers. And, uh, you know, the, the understanding is, Hey, this deal is either out of the pipeline next week or it's back on track next week. But we're not going to carry a bunch of, you know, essential uh, non-repairable garbage in our pipeline and distract from our production. And the other thing you get when you do that is you get a great sense of pipeline health. You know what I mean? Uh, when we were when we were early and we had some people that weren't, uh, you know, fully trained, we had a lot of newbies. Uh, our toast factor was pretty high, right? Because, you know, you had a, a processor like, hey, I don't know how to get here from here. You got some junior loan officer going, I don't know how to get there from here, right? And so you get you you get to you can actually see the learning and development of your people as you see that ratio go down. Uh, you, you see your coaching moments in those instances to, to to grow your people. But at the end of the day, you know, if you look at your pipeline and you've got whatever 300 units in pipeline, and you've got you know say less than you know 15. Uh, on your ghost toast report, you know, you, you know, that, you know, 95% or more of your pipelines is pulling through, you know? And so it's a great barometer to have. Wow. That's, that's amazing. No, no. So you said most of your, most of your 50 employees were, were, were newbies, um, were working, you know, like, uh, basically, uh, refugees from COVID. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so talk to us about like, what would help you identify whether someone would be a good prospect to work in the mortgage business? So I found, and I, 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 this is not the first time, but, but I find that uh, people in the in the hospitality and uh, particularly like restaurants do really well. If you think about the acuity of a loan officer, right? So you you have to be customer centric. You have to give that customer a really good feel, right? You have to you have to provide that that sort of concierge service, if you will. Um, and yet, there's a million details, right, that, that have to be satisfied. Uh, for that borrower to, to walk away and tip you with a five-star review. Well, compare that to uh, a, a waiter, right? Who's managing uh, 15 tables in a restaurant. And there's six different plates on each table with different dishes. And, you know, in some ways, they parallel each other really well. Uh, they have to work at a fairly fast tempo in Consumer Direct. They have to manage multiple tables or customers. And there's a lot of detail around each one of those clients, Right. And so we found that, you know, and particularly if you think about COVID, you had all these displaced restaurant workers, right? And, and we, we did really well there. We also, we also, we also found uh, some other, you know, we found some other financial professionals, different institutions, different banks that were, you know, you know, and, and uh, not nothing against uh, retail banking jobs, but, you know, a lot of retail banking environments are pretty stoic, static. There's not a lot of room to grow. You know, uh, so it's a long political struggle in, in a lot of those, in a lot of companies like that sometimes to advance. So we were able to also pull some of those folks out and say, hey, look, you know, we're, we're taking people off the street and training them to, to earn this kind of income and learn this profession where, you know, season in, season out, your income levels may change. But I think most successful mortgage people do fairly well. And so, so we were actually able to, to network and, and, and pull some different, uh, you know, some, some different groups of people uh, out of other other financial companies as well. 
Wow, that that's amazing. And so, so listen, you've, and if you're a server, you know, you're basically your your compensation, um, besides just some small little hourly wage that you're getting, is based on tip. Um, yep. Is there like what model did you choose in terms of compensating? You know, the 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 employees that you had. Uh, was there any kind of incentive to uh, that was tied to the ghost or toast report or production? Anything that's that's out of the box? And I ask this because I I know you're an out of the box kind of guy. Uh, so um, share with us. Yeah, compens- compensation compensation is still very in the box. You know, kind of thing. You can't you can't get too clever with uh, compensation, particularly on the broker side, or even on the just the regular CFB view, because you you wind up potentially incenting people for the wrong reasons. And I totally get that. Right? Um, we basically had a simple model. Uh, our training, our base training program, uh, we called it the loan officer system program, and we would you know move somebody in at a, at a basically about a thirty five thousand dollar base wage. And the uh, first thing we teach them was a CRM. This is how we engage new customers and how we direct them to licensed loan officers, right? While they're in that role, uh, we're having them take their classes. We're, we're getting them uh, test and education prep. Uh, we're teaching them things in the back end that they're going to need. So, so uh, they can't talk price. They can't disclose price. But a loan officer might say, hey, you know, Sally Joe Hobmeyer over here, uh, here are metrics, you know, 73% of the value, 645, you know, whatever, whatever that, whatever it is. I need a price quote. So the LOA uh, would, would go uh, bang out a price quote and hand it to the LO. And the LO would say, hey, you either did that right, great, good job. Or, hey, you missed this LLPA, this isn't right, go back and do it again. So even though they're not communicating price to the consumers, they're, they're learning how to price consumers. And then, you know, the next, the next step from there is great. Sally Homebuyer just, uh, just put her application in. Go ahead and kit that up, get it registered, you know, get it ready for disclosure. And again, you know, the, the LOA goes and learns how to register and, and, and set up a file correctly and does the admin work to get it kitted up. And at the end of the day, you wind up with somebody who can talk to a customer, who can price the loan accurately, who can register and, and literally uh, you'd get to the point with, uh, you know, I remember one of our first LOAs that went through our training program and I was training that person directly and like, okay, I just got Sally's application, kit it up. And, you know, I, I got to kit it up. Okay, what, what do we got? She's, we got an approval and appraisal waiver. Okay, press the button. And so she'd go and press the button. All the disclosures would go out from me, of course. And I pick up the phone and go, hey, Sally, congratulations, you're approved. Got your loan ready to lock, you got an appraisal waiver. So literally in 90 days, we would teach a, custom, a, a loan officer assistant how to do everything they would need to do, except for, for you know, hold themselves out directly in that final conversation, go, let's lock your loan and go forward. And uh, at the end of that, usually between 60 and 90 days, they'd pass their test and we'd put them on the floor. Rocket Pro TPO is always innovating, delivering a world-class platform for brokers to help you grow and strengthen your business. Become a partner and get access to Cruise, a dedicated team that works on your loan from start to finish. Cruise gets to know the ins and outs of your business and its decision makers, so you get results faster. When you want a partner that elevates your business, Rocket can. Learn more at rocketprotpo.com. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLS number 3030. Wow. So, so give me an idea from, from some of these new people that you hired that had no exposure to the mortgage business, 
Um, what kind of production are you seeing out there? Tell, tell us actually some of, some of the best case scenarios of some of your, your, your top producers that have gone through your system, use your technology, use your tech stack. Um, how, what kind of production are they doing now? Well, in you know, the middle of the uh, refi boom, our average LO that came through that training was doing uh, 10 to 11 units a month. That was our average. You know, we had guys doing much less than that. We had guys on the lower side of that. Now, in this environment, frankly, you know, we've actually probably trimmed probably 40% of those LOs. And not because they can't, right? I think uh, there's three types of LOs in this environment, right? When and I knew this was coming, by the way. When when you train everybody in sort of the easy money environment, you can't really prepare them for the regular environment. You can talk about it, you can try to prepare, but they don't really see it until it hits them. So I'm going to say uh, at least thirty percent of the forty percent of the loan officers that we've trimmed back since that point, at least thirty thirty percent of them simply. Uh, honestly, didn't really want to grind as hard as it, it as it as it is. You know, they're, they're just hey, this isn't any easy money anymore. I just I don't pick up the phone and uh, you know lock one in four calls of customers I talk to. Uh, you know, the the other ten percent, uh, maybe maybe tr- would would work hard enough to have the conversations, but couldn't really close or more particularly. Uh, really handle the grasp of purchase transactions, which are much more detailed and complex than, you know, uh, just your regular refinance business, which they were inundated with last year. But, you know, the good news is, you know, even though we're falling back, like the most mortgage companies are best, we were retaining, you know, 60% or better of our people that went through that training and they're still doing very well. Wow. That's, that's fantastic. So, so, and can go back to actually when you were thinking about this, when, when this was a concept, when you said, hey, I, I'm going to open up a mortgage brokerage. Um, how long did it take from you to come up with that concept and say, I'm going to become a mortgage broker to closing your first loan? Well, I had actually a couple of years previously wrote a business plan and helped a, uh, a, another mortgage bank stand up this model. right? And, and so I just sort of come in. I was an employee, but honestly, somehow, in some ways, it felt more like a consultant because once that thing was all stood up, you know, once it was like, okay, thanks, Adam. See you later. <laughs> you know? And so I was literally sitting back, you know, at, you know, 55 years of age or whatever I was, uh, 56. And, and I was like, you know, uh, I wrote a pretty damn good business plan. <laughs> you know, I know it works. Uh, I really didn't have anything better to do. So I just went about doing. And when did when did you close your your first loan? And and who was that loan? Do you do you remember specifically that loan? Oh, I don't. And we were so busy. If, if you can think about it, like you're you're testing every single wire that you have, like everything from your your CRM and your and your lead management, and you're doing all of the processing. We didn't have processors when we closed those first twenty loans. Um, it was a blur. It was, you know, the early days of this company, like a lot of successful startups were 8 a.m. to midnight, 8 a.m. to 2 a.m., you know, for, for probably three to six months, you know. Uh, so I, I apologize. And, and that, and honestly, 
Uh, I'm not great with names. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's great. Now listen, I mean, you're but you're, you're a systems guy. You're focusing on the systems because yeah, listen, you you don't actually for you. It's not about doing uh, you know loan by loan. It's about it's about creating systems and creating a company that that can handle volume. I mean that that's one of the reasons I'm I'm assuming why you know loan tech was created because you were able to help companies be able to handle volume uh, of borrowers coming with potentially potential interest. And rather than going through the, the, the manual pricing thing, you gave them the technology to be able to do that. So I'm, I'm not shocked at all about that, that you were focused more on perfecting actually a, a perfect system as opposed to, you know, um, what was the scenario for the, for the first uh, borrower? So. Yeah. But don't, Andrew, don't take that wrong though, because I mean, we, uh, our customer experience, like, one of the things I'm really proud of is most consumer direct mortgage companies do not get great reviews, right? In fact, a lot of them, like, I, I won't mention names, but there's companies that falsify reviews, they redact reviews, they do all this different crap to like, hey, we're really good 4.5 or whatever they can arbitrarily create to make themselves look better, right? But we legitimately have like a solid 5.0 on Google. Right. The only, the only, uh, four nine that, uh, that, that is, is one star isn't even our company. <laughs> like, uh, you have the wrong company. Um, but you know, and, and, you know, look, when you do volumes of loans like that, you, it's, it's almost impossible to get, get a, a solid five Oh, because you're going to have somebody. We had, we had one guy, uh, flamed us on Zillow because he was just confident that we had somehow lowered his credit score intentionally. And, you know, no matter how much we try to explain him, there's absolutely no benefit for us or incentive for us to have done that. <laughs> you know, you, you will always get that one person that's just, you know, angry. But, it, but when it, I think it's more common in digital mortgage than in your traditional street and grip mortgage, right? Because people don't have that face to face relationship. It's almost like social media. It's easier to get, you know, bent out of shape and flame somebody online than to say, Hey, what a great job I heard. What a great experience I had there. And so, uh, even though I may not be good with names, uh, the customer satisfaction that we drive and the way our people treat our consumers, uh, I'm extremely proud of that. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. That, I mean, listen, that's, that's very, very powerful to have actually that, that kind of record. Um, so listen, when, when you're getting things sta- um, stood up, can you share with us anything actually that you weren't expecting or some actually thing that you wish you knew uh, that you would have done differently knowing actually what it took to get completely ready to originate your first loans? You know, I think I had pretty good vision. Uh, And again, Andrew, this is my, my fourth company, right? So there were some things that uh, we're refactoring now. And there's some things that we're retooling now just, you know, to make improvements. But honestly, I was, I was extremely blessed. I mean, every pretty much with, with, without exception, everything that I stood up and integrated worked as built. Uh, I think if there's anything unexpected, I, I think if somebody wants to like sort of follow and try and create a model like this, I think the only thing that you, you can say is that. Everything you want to build or integrate will probably take longer than what you anticipate. And that when it's all done, you know, it's probably going to cost more too. It's, it's not any different than 
remodeling house, you know, building a new construction, you know, something somewhere is going to take longer to get that part or service uh, installed. And, uh, you know, something's going to be over budget. But really, if, if you frame it up your business with that expectation, you do your due diligence, um, you should have uh, an acceptable cost overrun or acceptable delay. But, but really, in, in, in this case, with this company, it was probably one of the best standups ever. Wow, that's fantastic. And I mean, so I'm just curious, like this business plan that you created, how in, how detailed do you get down when you're creating a business plan, knowing that this is, you know, you're, you're, you're not your first rodeo, this is the eighth time XD you've, you've actually created, uh, you know, successful businesses. Um, how detailed are you getting in that business plan? Uh, it's extremely detailed. So, um, one of the things, if you, and they're very difficult to find, right? But when you're a startup and you're starting up a business, if you can find a good interim CFO, right? Somebody, uh, and these are, these are not easy to find, but there are, there is a subset of, of professionals out there uh, that uh, are very capable uh, chief financial officers. They usually like engaging with early stage startups before they're, basically permanently hired by one, right? So they'll look and they'll do some services for a number of businesses and, and help uh, do reports and help, you know, get very detailed uh, forecasting uh, and revenue models. And, and if you can find one of those first people, they're a blessing, right? Uh, and then, of course, what happens is, is at some point, one of those startups that they help is, is going to scale and they'll be like, ah, oh, and then, and by the way, at that point, that other company, that other startup who uses those skills says, Hey, how would you like to just work for us now? Right. And so that's sort of how that relationship works. And that's where I get my financial data and my projections is I've always uh, made sure when I start a company, I have that person. Right. Everything beyond the, and, and what that does also, it helps you see the forest beyond the trees. Right. Because if you've run your own business and everybody who runs a business successfully, has a pretty good feel of their cash position. They have a pretty good feel of their income or their expense part. Um, but you don't, you don't, you don't, at least I don't. I've never uh, had that accounting background to really get down into, uh, you know, the spreadsheets that go down, you know, 80 to 100, uh, uh, you know, rows deep and out to column, you know, you know, B, B, L, or what, you know, how many, and if you get somebody who can give you great detailed financial analytics about your business, um, they make great roadmaps. Wow. That, that's, that's, that's amazing. That's great, great piece of advice that I don't think actually, um, I would be shocked to see if maybe 5% of mortgage companies when they're opening up, um, you know, mortgage brokers specifically are, are that insightful to, to know actually how important that is. Um, and now do you think actually, is it because you're building something to, to scale and not just something like, you know, to, to have a good year? Yeah, no, I think that's entirely, and, and don't get me wrong, that one of the first businesses I built was a great lifestyle business. Uh, I, I live very well. We had a great mortgage broker across the last states and, and, and my people did very well, but it, it, it wasn't designed for scale. It, it wasn't designed for, you know, taking public or selling and, and, and there's nothing wrong with it, right? There's really nothing wrong with that. So it's a great life. It wasn't until uh, the recession in 2007 
when uh, that company, which by the way, survived the recession, that I was like, hey, uh, we've got this great technology we've built over the course of a decade and we should spin this out because the mortgage company and the real estate company, they're both going to be on their knees for a while, but we're really good at this technology. When the course of that, uh, I sort of got my MBA in the school of hard knocks. You know, I, I had to go raise some capital to get it to the next level for a relationship with Zillow and then Bankrate and Lending Tree. And, and uh, you know, when you go through that exercise, uh, those investors, those Shark Tank guys, they're not interested in lifestyle business. They want to know how it scales, who's going to buy it, what the multiple of the return is. And you better be able to answer that very convincingly. <laughs> with all the charts, graphs, arrows, and spreadsheets that tie together. And, and uh, so that's sort of how I learned this approach. And then in that loan tech experience, which we sold the bank rate in 2015, you know, you, if you've been on both sides, the the lifestyle business and, and, and the scale side, uh, building something for exit, it's, it's really hard to go back to the lifestyle business. I mean, you can. There might be semi-retirement, but I'm not there yet. And you know, can you build a business like this for exit when, you know, because listen, you have a great tech stack, uh, you know, but you, you've shared with some of the pieces that you have, but can you build a, a company that is going to be, uh, that's going to have an exit when you're using the third party vendors uh, for your, your tech stack? Well, it depends, right? So we're refactoring a lot of that stuff now, right? Uh, and we're, and we're doing some things. So you can leverage, like, uh, like we'll, we'll still leverage Encompass as an LOS, and it, it won't be our consumer-facing model anymore. Like we're redoing all of that, and it won't be our, our certainly our data model and some of the things. But if you think about it, if somebody's going to acquire your mortgage company, where do most of those mortgage companies live? Where, where do most of your acquirers live? You have to think about the logistics of who's going to acquire it someday and, and what those concerns were. And, and so uh, as an example, when we were building uh, our software in loan tech, we built it on .NET. The reason we built it on .NET, not PHP or something else, is we knew that any enterprise company or most of them that would acquire a, a, a tech company like that would be .NET based. And so it integrate easily. Same thing with this company. We're going to leverage Encompass on the back end because somebody who's going to buy a digital finance company that's heavily rooted in mortgage, well, they're likely going to be familiar with Encompass if they're not also using it in some other other brand. Mm. I love it. That's but 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 you can't. You, to, to your point though, you can't. Like I I, I mean I, I think you can scale a mortgage bank and and use all leverage technology and you can sell it on the basis of the mortgage bank itself. Right. But we're, we're, we're still doing something different. Right. We're, we're, we're still creating our own tech stack. Not the tech stack that I, that I was able to do with consumer connect and encompass and, you know, and accelerate as a CRM and some of the things we put together and integrated, you know, more tech as a pricing engine. Those are already available. Anybody could do that. But, you know, what we're doing now that we've got it sort of beyond gen one is completely different. So, and are you building this actually for, for exit? I mean, is this something that, you know, in, if we look down the road in, in five years, uh, you know, what does this company look like? Well, uh, long as, you know, this, every startup's different and certainly the economy is not exactly our friend right now. 
But in three to five years, this is either a $250 million or more exit or it's an IPO. Fantastic. So I got to ask you, Adam, who inspires you? You know, I mean, you, you, you went to college, I mean, for graphics design and architecture. So like, you know, I mean, at some point actually, you know, you know, you thought you were going to, you know, uh, be making things look better and now actually, you know, you're impacting real estate finance. So where do you get this inspiration from? I like building things. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's pure and simple. I like building things. Uh, and, uh, it, 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 it just, uh, you know, actually I'm smiling right now on this question. I've got actually a little bit of goosebumps, right? Because yeah, that's, that's what really, that's what really drives me. It's like, and, and when you see it start to stand up and you see it start to go, it's, 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 uh, it's a beautiful thing. Well, that's awesome. So, and any guidance that you would give to, so here you are actually, you know, you're getting your bachelor's uh, for graphics design in architecture from University of Utah. Any guidance that you would give that Adam Stein? <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I, I'm trying to think. I mean, I know I've made a number of mistakes in my life, but uh, actually the, the weird thing is, is you have to learn from those, right? So I guess if, if to answer your question, Andrew, um, you know, you, you put your best foot forward out there. You're not always going to win. You have to sort of like the taste of dirt and getting knocked down and picking yourself back up. And you can't let that discourage you, right? It's, it's like, it's those, it's those moments that aren't perfect that actually crafts the metal, uh, and give you the learning experience of how not to do that particular thing again. Um, that that's probably it. Like, don't be afraid of failure. Like, failure is only failure if you submit, if you tap out and you quit. And you'll never know how close you are to success if you quit. Success could have been two hours away, a day away, a week away. So, so yeah, just never tap out and don't be afraid of failure. Oh, that's a powerful message right there. This is this is the secret to your, to your success right here. You've never quit. You've always actually continued to go and keep on keeping on. And Adam, I really really appreciate you taking the time to kind of tell us your story and your your path actually to open up actually a new mortgage brokerage right as the pandemic starts to hit and uh, to share actually all your successes with it. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. It's always a pleasure. I look forward to seeing you uh, in person again. I'm sure we'll. We'll, we'll pass on a, on, a, on a trade show somewhere. Adam, thank you so much for joining us today. We know that the story is not over and there's a lot more to be told in the world of Adam Stein. Appreciate you joining us today. Thank you, sir. You as well. Bye-bye. When you want to grow, strengthen, and protect your business, Rocket can. Partner with rocketprotpo.com today. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. It's amazing to see how a well-laid plan executed with the proper support, along with some willingness to get dirty, almost always succeeds. But one of the things I love about this story is all the tools that Adam has to do 800 million in production in his first full year is available to every mortgage broker out there. My major takeaway from this though, is Adam's closing words of never tap out and don't be afraid of failure. 
Well, that's it for this episode of Build a Broker, a Mortgage News Network podcast. Join us in person at a Build a Broker event near you. These half-day events help you open, operate, and grow your mortgage brokerage with confidence. Learn more at buildabroker.com. I'm your host, Andrew Berman. All episodes are produced by T.G. Kutamporo, Matt Mullins, and Sarah Wolak. Mike Savino is head of multimedia, and Christine Stewart is editorial director. The opening theme is Adrenaline by Balloon Planet, and the music you're hearing now is Sharp Thin Blade by Francesco D'Andrea. Be sure you subscribe to the Builder Broker podcast on your favorite podcasting platform or at mortgagenewsnetwork.com. Help inspire other future brokers by sharing this episode and by leaving your reviews. Thank you.